thank you very much. It's really great to be with you again. I see a few faces I think I've seen before. And so, yeah, this we have been with you yesterday evening and back here today. And that was a wonderful beginning to the service today. And it's wonderful to see that call to the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ and see so many people respond to that, obviously, from a heartfelt deep in your heart. So as we continue today, today I'm going to be speaking mainly, mainly to like the young adults and the young ones, but everyone, there is a message for you all because we are all young at heart. After all, I'm 72. And for you young ones, if you've got a grandmother or a parent who's like over 60, you can kind of imagine that this is your grandmother who's up here talking to you about sex. So that'll just give you an added incentive to pay attention. So, what I'm going to talk to you today is really about, like you've been singing about God, you are enough for me. And I made some notes. You said, nothing can come close to serving you, Lord. And you said, all of creation worships you, so will I. In our world today, what does it mean, especially as a young person, to worship God, to follow him in a world that basically says God is a cosmic killjoy and what can he possibly have to say about something that is so raw and fun as sex? And what can the Bible have to tell us, children of the 21st cyber generation, can, what can the Bible tell us? The Bible, after all, is just an old book of rules what has it got to say to us? And Christians, what are they? They are just some kind of bigoted, transphobic, homophobic, uh, killjoys. This is what you will hear in the world. But you have just stood up and promised to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does this mean? Now, younger people today, now some of us oldies were happy to think like the Bible is the word of truth and that's enough for us. Now, I do a lot of work with young people, believe it, even at 72. I do a lot of like talks in schools and I chat with a lot of young people. And for the younger people of today and for the young adults and for the older people too, there is a real importance to understand why is the word of God important? Why is it? So I want to just look a little bit for you at what is the science behind sex. After all, I am what is called a sexologist. And look a little bit and give you a little bit of background of our culture so that then when we look at the biblical truth about sexuality, we have an ability to critique what is happening in our culture. Behavior starts in the brain. And to understand our behavior, we need to know a little bit about what is happening in our brain. Now, young ones and older ones, your brain stays malleable, in other words, changeable, till you die. Now, therefore, whatever you put into your brain is going to affect the wiring of your brain. Now, that's a said, we call that neuroplasticity, plastic, your brain. However, it is really important for us to understand that this happens very rapidly in developing brains. So, 
from the time you're really little to about the 30-year age, your brain is changing very rapidly. The connections, those of you who are biologists will understand this, called synapses and axons, and these connections are changing and reforming a bit like a wiring upgrade. And at that time, what you feed your brain is excruciatingly important. It's always important, but particularly in a developing brain. So younger people and older people, stop for a moment and think, what are you feeding your brain? What are you watching on the video, the YouTubes, Netflix? What kind of television shows are you watching? Especially if you're feeding your brain with violence and sexuality, your brain is about five times more sensitive to it than older people. And you are wiring your brain in ways that the Lord Jesus Christ will not want your brain wired. 2,000 plus years ago, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4.8 said, whatever is good and clean and healthy, think about these things. Today we call it neuroplasticity, nothing new under the sun. The reality is you need to be aware, and if your parents or grandparents, you need to be aware what young people are feeding their brain. Violent video games will make us accept violence as the norm. And I don't have to tell you New Zealanders what that would lead to. The reality is, Sexualized imagery, which we will look at in a moment, the effects of it, will, <laughs> badly worded, will affect the brain. So what are you feeding your brain? Even movies like, I mean, television show like Game of Thrones is full of violence and sex. If you think that watching Game of Thrones hasn't affected you and you watch through the series, as a sexologist, I watched a collection of the scenes. I couldn't watch beyond a couple of minutes, the deviance that was shown there. If you're watching that and thinking it hasn't affected you, I'm sorry, you have already wired your brain to accept that which is beyond and outside God's good plan for you. That's one important thing. The second thing is not all parts of your brain are developing at the same rate. The part of your brain that erupts like a volcano is what we call your emotional brain for you scientists, a limbic brain. This one erupts at puberty. It's the time when you start getting interested in sex, you know, for those of you who are, most of you are close to puberty and adolescence. You remember that time when suddenly, you know, the little knobbly need guy next door kind of look cute? Sort of sex started being interesting to you. It is a time when you wanted an identity of your own. You no longer wanted to be daddy and mommy's little, I don't know, you kill possums, don't you? In Australia, we love possums. So you wouldn't call your little child a possum, but whatever you called your little children. But, you know, you don't want to be daddy, mommy's little darling. You want to be somebody of your own. You no longer want to hold mommy's hand when crossing the road. This is part of forming an identity of your own. It's a good thing. Because otherwise, you might be 43 like my son and still be cuddling up on mommy's lap, which would be a little bad for mommy's arthritis. But the reality is that independence is a good thing. 
identity searching outside the family is a necessary part of growing up. And this begins to erupt in your brain at puberty. Now, what's the problem then? It's part of growing up, isn't it? The reality is that the part of your brain that makes what we call the executive decisions, that is the part of your brain that says, oh, you've just taken that selfie. You know, you kind of move the camera up, the phone up so you can get a better shot of whatever. And you've taken the picture. And the part of the brain that says, whoa, wait a minute, don't send that picture. The self-control brain doesn't mature till you're about 25 or 26. Mm. So what happens? In a younger brain, you are like a red Ferrari on steroids. <laughs> with, with your accelerator to the floor, hardly any brake pedal, and no positioning system. Do you call it a GPS here? And not, no GPS. So my dear young people, and particularly when it comes to sex and anything associated with violence and sex, things that make you feel really excited, your control brain isn't completely developed. It doesn't mean it is not there. It is developing. You need help. You need an external GPS to help you. And that is called parents, the word of God, pastors, teachers. So, and every parent says, go, oh, yes. Yeah. So that's the reality. You know, you are, you do need assistance. Now, let's get back to that brain, that emotional brain that's erupting. One of the big things that happens is a search for identity. Who are you? In a world that says you have to follow your heart and do whatever you desire. We call it a post-truth culture. A culture that says there is no truth. You can live by your desires. Do whatever you want. We as Christians dare to say we worship the truth. And we do not live by our desires. Even the Lord Jesus Christ said, you know, out of the heart come all these evil desires. We are a fallen people. We do not follow our desires. In a world that says, follow your heart, we say we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. In a world that says, we do whatever you desire and desire is what will make you happy, we say true joy. You just sang about it. True joy is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we can sing about it. We can talk about it. Are you ready to live it in the world? Are you willing to show that your identity isn't in finding a sexual label? You know, any of those 54 plus in Instagram and Facebook. Your identity is not based on your social media profile or your Snapchat, your snap streak or whatever it is or having that best selfie out there. That is not your identity. It's not about having the best, I don't know, six-pack or shredded abs or I don't know what else you call it, the butt selfie or thigh gap or whatever. That is not what your identity is. Yes, it might give you a fleeting bit of pleasure, but an identity that truly lasts is an identity that is in Christ.
And my dear young people and older people, but especially to you young people, in a world that says place your identity on worldly things of popularity and social media down likes that you get or downloads on your video tube or video channel or whatever it is. In a world that says that is where your popularity is, the Lord Jesus Christ has very clearly said, true joy will only be yours if you place your identity on the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 139 says, King David says, you knit me in my mother's womb. You think mom and dad were knitting? <laughs> think about that for a moment. They were having the best sex ever. <laughs> Probably the best orgasm ever when you were being knitted. Go home today and have a chat if you're with your mom and dad about it. The reality is, mom didn't know that you were knit in the womb till about six weeks after when she started puking all over. But God knew when you were one cell. That is the identity you need. That is all the identity you need. It doesn't matter what shape you are, what the sexuality you are. You are known by God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, you belong, your body belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. The, your home, your body is the home of the Holy Spirit. Glorify God with your body. Glorify God. Honor God with your body. My dear young people, your body matters to the Lord Jesus Christ. What you do with your body, go back and read 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 with your family. It matters to Jesus. What you do on social media with your body matters to Jesus. Every time you send a selfie to someone, it matters to Jesus. Every time you send a nudie to someone, it matters to Jesus. I'll try not to get more explicit than that. But it matters to Jesus what you do with your body because your body is made to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. You sang about it. You sang about it and you said, if the hills will worship you, then so will I. How you behave when you're dating matters to Jesus. Are you honoring the person you are dating? How you behave in your marriage matters to Jesus. Are you honoring the other person's body as you honor yours before Jesus? These things are hugely important because they determine your identity. Your identity, you are bought at a price. You are created in the image of God. You are bought at the price of the cross, the blood of Jesus. And you are made for eternity and that is your identity. So, you came to talk about sex, let's talk about sex. When we talk about sex, we talk about desire, falling in love, and how what happens when you're sexually intimate. Now, let me give you a quick one about desire. Desire 
is that wanting of sex. It's a wanting. It's driven by testosterone, both in men and women. Men have about 20 times more, which kind of explains some things. But in general, it's a wanting. In our culture today, we are told that desire is not a want. It is a need. And you have a right to have whatever you desire. Nowhere is this more obvious than in what we call pornography. Now, you all know what porn is. Porn is anything that is sexually explicit and created to titillate. It is the ultimate corruption of God's good gift. God created sex for a purpose. We come in, look at Genesis, and we say God created Adam, and then he created Eve. Adam and Eve. Adam was created first and then God puts him to sleep and then takes a bit of minor surgery and creates Eve and brings him. And Adam goes, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. He'd never seen another one, so that helped. But the reality is that when that was desire, the first blind date, and desire Garden of Eden, naked and no shame, one flesh, marriage, and through the Bible, we see that desire is God's creation, but Satan corrupts it. And we look around and we see porn in every so many different ways. We think it's only on the laptop or on your smartphone, but it's in comic books, it's on billboards, it's in television. It's in erotic novels which ladies and young girls read. It's now we even have sex robots out there and virtual reality porn. Every time you take a nudie or a selfie, you are creating porn. And when you exchange it, especially if you're young, younger than 18, you're creating child porn. Remember this, Satan corrupts. Pornography affects your brain. It is Satan's way of rewiring your brain. We talked about neuroplasticity. Watching porn floods your brain. Your floods your brain and takes over circuits in your brain that are created for sexuality. And there's a hormone called, a chemical called dopamine, which I will talk about in a moment. But it takes over that testosterone and dopamine and it just floods it. And when you masturbate it to it, it fixes those images in your brain. What it does is it lays down little path markers. And we call that sensitization of the brain. And so if normal sexuality is like that direction, it will entice you away from it and form new parts so that after a while you want more and more and your brain gets desensitized. So you get numb, and just like if you're numb, then you need to press harder to feel anything. You want more and more porn. It takes over your brain. And after a while, even the parts of your brain that are involved in self-control, which are still developing when you're young, has, you completely lose the self-control. And then you really are in addiction territory. My dear young people and older people, all of us, because it's not just a young people's problem. It is not just a man pro boy problem. Today we have 60% and over of women 
who will be who say they are either using porn or they have used porn or they are tempted. The average age of porn, first porn exposure in Australia is 10 years and dropping. I have talked to eight-year-olds who are compulsive porn users. This is Satan's corruption of God's good circuits for sexuality and love. It's a complete opposite of God's good plan. If there is anyone here who is struggling or even tempted by pornography, there is no good porn, no little porn. Porn destroys your life, your relationship, and ultimately your marriage. Please ask for help because we are promised renewal of our mind. Romans chapter 12 clearly says, do not conform to this world, but be renewed, the renewal of your mind. And we are promised renewal and the very neuroplasticity that causes it to be, to be turned away can come around. In Colossians also we say, do not, you know, do not lie. And we know that we, there is a beauty in turning to the Lord and accepting that his healing will turn around that neuroplasticity. So please, if there's anyone here who's struggling with pornography, ask for help. Do not sit here thinking, I am all right. That is what Adam and Eve did when they had turned away from God. And God said, where are you? They said, I'm ashamed, I'm hiding. You cannot hide. You can hide from your church members. You cannot hide from the Lord Jesus Christ who looks into your heart. So please ask for help. Let's talk a bit about love and sexual intimacy before we finish. We talked about desire. Ah, falling in love. There's probably some of you here who are sort of just about falling in love. Some of you here who are married and sort of still in that throes of love. You know that time when you look at your loved one first? You saw her across church and there was that heart palpitating moment when you wanted her by your side in your arms in your bed as soon as possible. You remember that moment? It was just a flood of a chemical called dopamine. It makes you dopey. At that moment you were totally dopey. And serotonin levels go down. That's the same thing as obsessive compulsive behavior. And the same changes take place if you take a shot of cocaine. Love is an addiction. Love is an obsession. And this is my favorite. It suppresses the part of your brain involved in rational thinking. Ever looked at someone and thought, what does she see in him? She ain't seeing. Love is blind. <laughs> and that's what falling in love is a strong emotion. Desire is a feeling. Falling in love is an emotion. The Bible clearly recognizes the power of these feelings. In, uh, I told you that in Genesis we see desire. In Song of Songs, the eight chapters of erotic lovemaking between husband and wife. We read love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as a grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Love, desire, these are created by God. They are powerful. They are meant 
for a place and a purpose, and God gives us the plan. That is called one flesh, naked and no shame, one man, one woman, marriage. What is nakedness? Nakedness is total vulnerability. Now, we don't have time today, but if you had a lot of time, we might have asked for a volunteer from one of you uh, young people to jump up here and get naked. Why would you do that? You would do that because of one of two reasons. One is you are perfect. And everyone will go, oh, and you turn around and a double law. But the point is that most of us have some little bit of our body we are not we're a little ashamed of. What else? You trust everybody here. Nobody's going to pull out their phone and take a picture, put it on Instagram or something like that. You know, that you trust everyone here. But the reality is even though we are the community of Christ, we don't have that 100% trust. You kind of think, eh, maybe they'll take a picture. I can't trust them completely. The only place you can be totally vulnerable and totally trust is when that person you're with has promised to care for you through life to love you till death do you part, and love you even when you are not as tight and taut as you were on your marriage day. We are married 45 years old, and let me assure you that things have moved with gravity, <laughs> kind of moved towards Invercargill kind of thing. The reality is that when you are with someone who has promised to love you, you can be naked, not just body, but at mind level. You can share that naked intimacy and know that they will love you because they have made promises before God to love you till death separate you. That is why it is marriage that God plans that love to be and that sexual intimacy to be. Sexual intimacy is a binding act. Different chemicals kick in. Oxytocin, vasopressin, those are the ones that kick in when a mother holds a baby to her breast. And you ask any mother who has been breastfeeding, she'll tell you how close she feels to the baby when the baby is at the breast. The same things, the same chemicals you get a spray in your brain when you are sexually intimate. Now, remember, I'm saying intimate, not necessarily intercourse. Any form of intimacy sends your oxytocin, vasopressin levels up. If you have an orgasm, it goes sky high. It binds you to that person. There is nothing casual about sexual intimacy. There is nothing called casual sex. Sex is never casual. Sex is a binding act created to bind you to one person. And the more sex you have, the more you bind. That's really good for sex therapists because we can tell couples, just go away and have a lot of sex and you'll bind to each other. And it does happen. You see, falling in love is an emotion. Staying in love is an action of loving. After the palpitations, it is the actions of loving that will keep you together. My dear young people, the world will tell you that if you fall in love, you should just have sex with the person. I love you is often actually translated to mean I want to have sex with you. Or I want to have whatever intimacy with you. 
wrong. The Lord Jesus Christ says, if you want to have the best sex for life, follow my plan and pattern, or you will get burnt. We see the results. Couples, the, result, the research is very clear that even when especially girls consent to casual sex, they are actually searching for intimacy and love. When couples live together before marriage, young people ask me, but how else will I know whether I can have sex after I get married? And I tell them I'm a doctor, I'm also an anatomist. And penises and vaginas do not come in small, medium, large and extra large. They fit. You do not have to have a trial run before. You're not like going to the clothing shop to try on that pair of pants. They will fit. I can promise you that. I've been a sexologist for a long time and an anatomist for even longer. So it is the lie of the world. Why are we listening to Satan? Just as he said to Eve, who will say, but did God really say you shouldn't sleep around a little bit, that you shouldn't move in with someone? Don't give into that lie. The research clearly tells us that when people live together before getting married, marriages are not as successful. They call it sliding into marriage. When you slide in, you are more likely to slide out. You make a decision, it's called deciders, then you stay in a marriage because you have made the decision to stay. So let's pull this together. You saying, to saying, Lord, you gladly surrendered your life on the cross for us. So will I. So are you ready to surrender your life? Are you ready to accept the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and actually let that change your life? Because the Lord Jesus Christ said, you have to accept me and my word. Are you willing to do that? You know, if there's somebody here who is in any way feeling uncomfortable about anything we talked about let me finish with 1 Timothy 1 15 and 16 here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I this is the Apostle Paul and myself am the worst and for this very reason I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners the worst of sinners Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the message we take away is are we willing to accept that challenge to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, to be an example of identity of how we live our sex life, how we deal with our desires. Jesus was tempted in every way, but he did not sin. That is our example. You sang about it, that you want to follow Jesus. Are you willing to leave this building and go into the world and actually do that? If you can't, if you're not ready to do it, then don't sing about it because the Lord Jesus Christ can see into your hearts. That is our challenge. It is my challenge as much as yours. Because I'm faced with the same world that you are. And I dare not stand here and speak to you if I am not willing to make those sacrifices. That is our challenge. 
because what I pray for you as a church is that every one of you, every one of us, when Jesus comes back, and it may be tonight, it may be not in our lifetime, that we can face him and he can say, come my beloved child. You have been faithful to me in the hard times. Come now and sit with me and enjoy eternity. God bless you.